Fast Forward Productions. The women are speaking. Every month was, you know, looking at the numbers, looking at retention, looking at growth. And you have to be so obsessed with that and continue to push in that way or it just fizzles out. I mean, my general view on discipline, I think, is that it's like an ability to act outside of emotion around something. I think a lot of people think that they're not in the right place to walk into a gym or contact someone for programming. They're not in the right place to get help with their nutrition, but it's for everybody. Hey, everyone. Meredith here. And today we are coming at you with an extra special guest episode of the Afternoon Snack Podcast. Today, we're bringing on our coach and friend, Marissa Wise, and her husband, Todd. We talk about their backgrounds in fitness nutrition, what some of their philosophies are, what it's like owning a business together. And then we have a really great conversation about discipline and what that means for just people in life to be successful. Athletes, people working on their nutrition, successful business owners. It's a really great and somewhat unexpected conversation. So we hope you enjoy it. Let's get into it. Hey, Marissa. Hey. It's great to have you. Thanks. Hello, Alex. You're sitting against a white brick wall. Where are you in jail? Yeah. <laughs> we went for a really... Actually, have you guys seen Mythic Quest, the show? No. Okay. In season two, the office is like this and you can't tell where any of the entrances or exits are because it's just pure white. So the floor in here is also white. Yeah, and the, the floor wall, like and the, the entire room. It's white. Ceiling, everything. Yeah. It's got like a, definitely has like a studio vibe to it. I like it. I like that. Yeah. yeah you're definitely not falling asleep in here doing work. So very so, alert always. This is our first foursome. It's a quadcast. I like foursome more. <laughs> foursome. How long have you been waiting to say the quadcast? <laughs> it just came to me. That just came up in my brain and I had okay, to let first it First foursome off. slash quadcast. You decide. <laughs> we'll put a poll up later. There you go. Okay, so let me introduce you guys. And then you can introduce yourself more in more detail. So Marissa Wise has been a coach with us for coming on two years now. Yeah, most of the second year. Yeah, so almost two years. Yeah, you've been clutch. You're full-time pretty much with us. You have a fair healthy load of clients that you work really well with. You also work personally with Meredith as a client. And that's kind of how we got to know you. And I'll let you talk about your entrance into nutrition coaching and your background and all that. And then Todd Wise is Marissa Wise's husband. Wow, you're doing a good job with this. (laughs) And we know Todd from four or five years ago when we competed at Granite Games on our first That was actually our first foursome. It was our first foursome (laughs) team. That was our first foursome with two men. That was our first foursome with two men. We had been in a threesome with another woman before, but never a foursome with two men. Yeah. And so you coached us through that, which was helpful to have another man to kind of like show us how. And (laughs) we ended up doing pretty well. We almost made it. We almost accidentally qualified. (laughs) We did almost make it to the games as a foursome, which was exciting and fun. And that was a fun experience. Yeah. The rest is history that we'll talk about. Oh, you know what, Alex? Let me take over for just a second. (laughs) That was really good though. You did a great job. We'll start with Marissa since you started with Marissa. Marissa, I've known you for a while. We have worked together for a while. But uh, what I want you to talk about is a little bit of your background and where your passion for working in the fitness and nutrition industry comes from. Okay. Yeah, we've worked together for a while in a client coach relationship for a while. I've been coaching for you longer than that though now with the two years, but I was coaching nutrition on my own as a WAG affiliate in California. Todd and I had CrossFit Currahee in San Jose, California. Previous to that, I was in collegiate strength and conditioning. And when I was living in Rochester, New York, where I graduated from RIT, I started working with the hockey strength program. So that was kind of my first coaching gig. And then I started applying to some strength and conditioning internships that led me to California. So at that point, not a whole lot of nutrition other than the own foods that I was eating and training. 
I started having a lot more exposure in those internships to how much goes into being an elite athlete beyond just the strength and conditioning. And I found myself being really drawn into like the conversations I was having with athletes around their recovery and their lifestyle and other things. And I was like, man, the numbers are cool and they're fun and I enjoy it. But the conversations I enjoyed a lot more. And I had a really interesting, I ended up at Stanford for my second internship in California. Mostly the only reason I tried to stay in California was because Todd and I had met. So I was at Santa Clara University for six months. And as that was coming to a close, I was like, okay, well, how do I stay? And Stanford was not down the road, but close enough. And when I had gotten accepted into their internship program, it was kind of one of those things where even if I wasn't going to continue, it just seemed like something that I wasn't willing to turn down. But that was the internship that I realized that it wasn't for me. It was just a lot of work that was seemed pointless to me. You literally would be there from 5 a.m. to 7 p.m. and there was dead time that you were just expected to just be there. The coaches that I would have been moving into those types of roles, like I just knew that I was going to not be satisfied and enjoy it for projecting that out with having a family and a husband and all of those things. So I fulfilled my time there and I had a really interesting conversation with a coach as I was wrapping up that I was working closely with. And he was like, yeah, getting to know you, like, I feel like you would have been better in like a therapy role, like working as like a therapist. And I like look back on that now and I'm like, oh man, it was coming up even then that my ability to conversate and get into like deeper conversations with people was what I was supposed to be doing. That was a really cool like experience. And I had already started working with nutrition clients at the gym. At that point, I was working my internship at Stanford. And then anytime that I wasn't there, I was coaching CrossFit. That was kind of how that started. I mean, there's a lot of overlap in what you're coaching as far as movement goes with strength and conditioning and CrossFit minus the gymnastics. I started doing a lot more of that, working with a couple clients at the gym here and there, which... Once I did the WAG certification, that's where we started the WAG affiliate. And I was working with a coach for myself at that point because I had performance goals with CrossFit. So kept chipping away at that. But it is tough on your own. Like I was just coaching people at the gym and pretty inexperienced at that point also That was what, early, like 2016? Yeah, 2017. Yeah, 2016, 2017. You guys know there's just a bunch of part-time coaches that are doing part-time nutrition coaching. And it came to a point where I was like, okay, I need to like jump all in and try to see what I can do with becoming full-time and coaching nutrition. We moved to New York in 2020. So from 2017 to 2020, it was the WAG affiliate at CrossFit Curry. And then Meredith and I started, I think it was, 2020. Yep. We were on a call in New York to chat about my goals and transitioning coaches for me personally. And I continued to work with a lot of the same clients at CrossFit Curry, even after we had sold the gym and just randomly pushing it on my Instagram that I was a coach. How most people do it. (laughs) Yeah. It's just like, you'll go in a spurt and be like, all right, I've got it. And then it's just like, Peters out. And then you get some like imposter syndrome and you're like, am I good enough to coach? Who am I to coach? (laughs) 100%. So went through that. And I think it was, yeah, I guess it was a year into Meredith and I working together. She had mentioned like, oh, is there anybody that you know of that for on my own, what would be, I guess, a decent client load, but I definitely wanted more and wasn't satisfied with where I was at. And I think the other piece was that it was time for me to have like peers and and like colleagues. Todd had that in his experience with coaching and I had, I've never been in that position. I'd just always been on my own. And so I think in a check-in, Meredith was like, well, if you know anybody in the space, because she knew we had the WAG affiliate and some other coaches, if you know any coaches interested in like... <laughs> I love that you think I was actually asking for a coach, not you. <laughs> it's happened to me with Lululemon management too. Like my manager was like, yeah, we literally have just been like positioning you to eventually ask us. But yeah. So Meredith said, oh, you know, any coaches in the space looking for any jobs? Like we're hiring. And I like read it to Todd and I was like, is it bad if I say me? <laughs> I want the job. So yeah, shortly after got on a call did the interview and the rest is history. So. Yeah. I'll never forget that 
because I'm pretty sure I was like, we're looking for someone who's kind of doing it full time on their own, would be bringing in some of their own clients, very experienced. I basically described what you were doing and I was like, see if she gets oh, it. Oh, good. Well, I'm glad because <laughs> I literally like read it. Yeah. I was like, I feel like this is me. <laughs> So. Yeah, it was. And I'll, I'll never forget the call that we had after that because it was like you'd clearly given it some thought, which you should when you are transitioning to a new role with a company and it, you have to think of, you know, hard about does this align with where I want to go? And yeah, I, what you said really struck me, which was, you know, if I decide to do something, if I decide to go tactic, I'm with tactic until tactic is no more. And I was like, <laughs> hell yeah, <laughs> that is exactly what we want. So, okay, Todd, it's your turn. So Marissa, you obviously, you work with us, but you also, you, you work with your husband and I like to hear, it's kind of like Alex and I, we have like very different backgrounds, but we've ended up at this kind of shared place and this shared mission in life. And I think you two are the same. So Todd, I want to hear basically your story and how you got basically where you are with the pack and coaching and everything. Uh, I'll make it short because I think I've explained this on a lot of podcasts, but <laughs> I started in martial arts, did that for 12 years, went to college, got into marketing. And that's why like we have the videos we have and the photos we have now because I learned that skill then. Got a degree in business entrepreneurship and I was working for my buddy's company, which is Heatwave Visual. They're still around crushing it in uh, Sunnyvale, California. Shout out Justin, doing a good job. What kind of company is it? It's a sunglass company. It used to be aggressive inline skating, if anybody knows about that. Okay, gotcha. They used to rollerblade, hardcore rollerblade. Rollerblading is awesome. I actually keep thinking I want to get myself a pair, but I'm like, with all the activities I do, there's just, there's no time for it just now. But in the summer when you're not skiing, but mountain biking is cool. Don't give that up. Over time, I was feeling like pretty unfulfilled and a bunch of us at the the shop were doing bodybuilding and lifting weights. And um, I did club lacrosse in college. So there, there was exposure, like strength and conditioning, but not very much. I just like didn't want to sit at a desk and Photoshop photos. And so I was like, well, I'm just going to get a personal training certification. And this was like in, I don't know, 2007. Got one, was like, oh, this is kind of neat. Like I like this. And then started working at 24 hour fitness, became a master trainer within like two years. And I left the job and was like, I'm just going to do this. And then a couple of the guys at 24 hour fitness were doing CrossFit, were bothering me to do it. And I was always like, no, that's stupid. I've seen it on YouTube. Like, I don't want to do that. Very like, oh, you shouldn't do Olympic lifting at high reps. Like everybody was back in the day and collected just a lot of certifications because your pay at 24 hour fitness at the time would increase by how many certs you got. And I like learning and I like the human body. So I just kept taking certs and getting paid more. And then I went down to the CrossFit gym and like everybody remember like my first workout was 2159 shoulder overhead at 115 and bar facing burpees. I was fine because like the bodybuilding, I had a lot of shoulder endurance and that's still like a good characteristic that I have. And I liked that. I was like, okay, well, I'm gonna come back. And this was like 2011, I want to say in September. So I started going every now and again, kept bodybuilding at 24 hour fitness and then Finally did Fran and was like, oh, okay, I could probably be okay at this thing. When you did Fran, did you do kipping pull-ups or were you doing strict back then? Some weird like pseudo kind of thing. I'm sure <laughs> yeah, you totally. I can totally <laughs> picture that. You know the like the old school Miko Salo kip? Yeah. It's like a kip, but also strict. So not too different than what you're doing now. <laughs> yeah. Yep. hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah. So then like was really bought into that. And then my first business partner, Jeff suggested that we open an affiliate because the gym we went to was was pretty good, but he wanted to own his own affiliate. And I had this whole business plan for like a sports performance gym because when I was at San Jose State, I built this whole business model around like sports performance training before I knew what CrossFit was. We just did it. They, we went to regionals in 2014 on a team. Weren't good at all. Nobody was really that good back then. 2014 was when you saw some gnarly teams at regionals. <laughs> You're like, the team, they should not have let that many teams in. They're like collecting people who look fit off the street. <laughs> well, that's actually funny. I showed some people here at the gym right now because it's on YouTube. You can go watch us. And people are like, you look like normal human beings. Like they're contrasting to see what you see now. These huge monsters of athletes. And like, it's just really funny to look back. But we went, did that for a while. And then Sold that gym in 2016, opened another one in 20, like 16, 2017, and had a business partner, Kaleo Cornwell, who owns the gym now. He works for Cal Strength, did a lot of weightlifting stuff. With, and then I got hired by Brute Strength in, I want to say 2017. Worked for them until 2020, quit, started our own company, and 
recently have 61 athletes with the four coaches that we have. Coached the CrossFit Games champion in the 55-59 and got to meet people like you through the process. So, and own our third affiliate. So <laughs> there we go. That's awesome. It's like owning your own business is the best. Well, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's also things about it that suck, but you know, you ultimately get to control. Well, that's actually funny you say that. I, I think a lot of people think it's really cool and it is, and you guys really enjoy it. But like, we both know how much work and you're never turned off and you're always doing it because it's like having a kid. But it's similar like Marissa. Sometimes you can get growth by working for another company. So going into tactic, she can get way more growth and experience and mentorship because with Brute, that was something that I value very much that I miss a lot. But now I have it with our coaches and we can have our circle and our coaching staff. It grew me a ton in those four years with them. And I value that so much. So like that, I would have never gotten with my own company. So it's just kind of like timelines. Owning an affiliate's great, but I just don't know how many people should actually own their own business and might want to work for somebody else, honestly. Yeah. I find in affiliates, you end up with a lot of people who have a lot of passion for CrossFit and no working knowledge of that business model or how to make it a good experience for members and also like even remotely profitable, 100% accurate. I said it's also very frightening when you own your own business. Oh yeah. Every day. You guys yeah. know the fear. It's real. It was only until recently where I, I was worried the business was going to fail every month. And it wasn't. Like it was doing fine. And it's like there was no history that showed that it was going to fail. And I was still worried. It's just like helicopter parent over your business. I mean, to make an analogy to a lot of the clientele that we work with for improving their health or weight loss, the things that you have to do to make progress and then once you reach that, whatever that milestone is, you have to continue doing those things. And I think the same thing goes with business. Like a lot of people, I think when they, they get to a point where they're even remotely successful, their foot comes off the gas. It just backslides. I don't know how long it was just like absolute mania for us, just like pushing, growing, pushing, growing. Every month was, you know, looking at the numbers, looking at retention, looking at growth. And you have to be so obsessed with that and continue to push in that way or it just fizzles out. And you see people fizzle out, especially in the nutrition space all the time. Barrier to entry for owning an online business is so low. It's the cost to incorporate a business. A website, that's it. You have a website and take people's money and that's it. But you got, I mean, oh man, the amount of people that don't make it just because they don't realize, like they're not passionate about it. It grinds you up. You like, you have to want to... It's like CrossFit. You have to want to suffer to do it. Yeah. Every day is an emotional <laughs> roller coaster. It's like you have moments of like, I love our business. I love what we're doing. Don't you just, and I'll like turn to her like, don't you just love this job? And then like later in the day, it's like Meredith, legit. I quote Meredith yesterday. Owning a business is like <laughs> saying the F word a lot. Yeah. <laughs> just like to yourself. Yeah. To your, you'll be sitting by, like I'll be sitting by myself doing one of the thousand tiny little tasks that come up every day. And you're just like, Fuck. <laughs> and that's it. I'm just talking to myself, just swearing. Like, yep. I'll come home some days and just go, I quit. I quit as a coach. I just like, pack it up. I'm going to go live in the woods. This is yeah. terrible. <laughs> like, sometimes I'll be like, if you were to have, this is like our like talk. It's like, if you were to have a nine to five job, what would it be? And then we're both like, ooh. <laughs> yeah it's like <laughs> i did i have told him i was like isn't it i feel like it was like yesterday that i literally said this to you every day yeah every day <laughs> i'm just like what do you think it'd be like if you just like you just got the paycheck and you went home like at five it'd be like, relaxing yeah. <laughs> imagine like being done with work and then being able to leave it at work now on one of the podcasts alex you said something about like oh yeah i've been trying to close my laptop and just like watch tv and i'm like Someday I'll do that too. One hundred percent. I guess it's hard. It's so hard because I close it, but then I usually open it again. Yeah, yeah. That like invisible hand comes out, and it's like no, or open it's it. bad. It's like I don't like to brag about working a lot. Like I think there's a lot of value in balancing like your work and your life and all that stuff. And there's a time and a place like there's some months I work really hard and some months I don't work as much and it's flexible and it ebbs and flows, but it's bad. I'm like, even with my coaches, like I want everyone that w works for us to have a balanced life. Like I think, cause it's important for longevity and sustainability and like enjoyment. But sometimes Marissa, I see you send out plans at like at night and I'm like, oh, I'm proud of her. <laughs> She's grinding. <laughs> I have had clients. They'll be like, Oh, you were up late. I'm like, yep. <laughs> 
Every day. But it's like, to me, a lot of it's not even work. It's like, it is enjoyable and it's not hard to do in free time. Like it's what I like doing. And it, you know, it's, there's so much fulfillment and reward that you get from working hard. So it's like give and take pros and cons, mostly pros. Absolutely. I guess like from a client perspective, you can both answer this question, but what makes someone a good client or a good fit for your company, Todd or Marissa, you as a coach? You want to take it for the pack? Real, honestly, like anyone. And that's stupid to say, because I hate when people say like everybody is our client, but that is the one unique thing about fitness is that everybody has a physical body and they need to change their biology to some degree. And you could be the fittest person on earth and they're still chasing down those ills. Like you look at Mal O'Brien right now, trying to be even fitter than she already is. So her and somebody who needs to lose 200 pounds is a large spectrum. So yeah, everybody fits our design. I wouldn't say we like hunt down anyone specifically. Me personally have, I've transitioned into just wanting people who want to compete at the CrossFit games as far as like our external remote for our gym. It's like anybody who needs to change their life and health. And we do a, a huge like longevity talk and explain things to people. So it's a little bit different than most industries. And I would say the same thing for like you guys, as far as nutrition, like everybody puts food in their mouth. So it's like, okay, everyone's our client, but what characteristics do you want? I don't know. Just don't be stubborn. Cause I would love to work on your mindset and things. And if you're open to a new ideas and typically you are, when you walk through the door of a gym or you send the email to say, Hey, I want a nutrition coach. Like most of those people have already made the first step to change in some way. So they are the right client. Early on, we would work with mentors just because we didn't know what we were doing. So we were having meetings with a bunch of different people on marketing and that sort of thing. And there were a couple of people who were like, you need to have a client avatar. You need to know who you're selling to. Like, is it female? Is it male? What age group? Who are you going for? And we kept like, we were like kind of pounding our heads against the wall. Like, I don't know. Like, I like working with these people, but I also like working with these people. It's like, then it just became, we don't have a client avatar. We legit work with anyone who is ready and willing to work with us. I think that's one of the best moves that we've made. Just like inclusive in all regard. Yeah. I mean, in school and business, they tell you that and they preach it really hard. And like, that's what you got to do. And I would say for other industries, sure. You know, you make a certain shoe or a certain t-shirt or you have a certain product, you're trying to solve a problem. And the way you like look at different problems, like Apple is like, okay, we have these people who like this thing and we're going to build this feature on the watch who specifically fixes this problem for a runner. So yes, that feature is for a runner and that's why it works so well in business, but in health, it's everybody, you know, especially with the obesity rates and everything else. Like it's, we have endless amount of people we can help. Yeah. Maybe that's like the beauty of a team, like having a certain app or would be equivalent to having a certain coach on your team. That's a little bit better at working with a certain type of person. It's like, that's kind of the beauty of having more coaches who work for you. Yeah. And we do, like, I was going to mention that too, because he's pivoting to a spot where he's working with athletes that do have higher level CrossFit goals of going to the CrossFit games. And I think right now we're kind of at a, like you have like a niche of like masters yeah. uh, that are pursuing that. And, but we also have coaches on staff like coach Noah that we have that is very like lifestyle first responders, like military shift work type coach that is just like working with, like works really well with clients that have those types of goals and, and the rest of our coaches have diversity too. So I think we have that with tactic as well. I don't know that I would say that I have like an avatar of like, these are the people I like really, really want, but I do notice trends of like who I have right now, whether that's like trending because of who you guys are sending my way or trending because those people are just doing well with me. Like, and I just don't realize the avatar person. So who are those people? Well, I have a good number of, I guess, like, late 20 to 30-ish something like performance females. I have, I don't want to say a lot because I'd have to like audit and actually see, but I do have, I probably carry a majority of the male clients and then perimenopausal and menopausal women. That's a diverse group. Those are kind of my clusters. I feel like that's about right. What do you say, Alex? Yeah, I think tactic is appealing more to the older female avatar right now. We seem to be getting quite a few people and they're like 40s, 50s, 60s, male and female, but I think primarily female. I think people just like our messaging. It's inviting. And we speak to some of the things that pre-menopausal and menopausal women are dealing with or post, like it's just maybe a little bit more inviting. The approach that we take doesn't change drastically 
for those types of clients. I think generally tactic is getting a lot more of those clients. And then you do tend to get more males than some of our other coaches. Cause I sense like you just have a really clear way of communicating and this might be stereotypical, but I find men to be very like clear and short and they like directness and you are, you are that, which is a good thing in my opinion. And so you tend to work really well with them. Not saying that our other coaches aren't capable, but it seems to be a good match. I mean, I think like, I think I've been, I guess you could say lucky. I don't want to say they're not direct, but I think like it's been a nice mix of directness, but also asking for learning when they want it. And that for me as a coach has been enjoyable because it's not like exclusively like cut and dry, like yes, no, super direct communication. So I've been able to do a good amount of coaching with the male clients I have right now, which is really fun. You have a pretty good, I would say like core sample of what our client base looks like. You've got a little bit of everything going, but kind of like what Todd said, there's a way to work with everyone. I think like the biggest struggle and what we do the most work on with social media is kind of convincing people that they deserve it. I think a lot of people think that they're not in the right place to walk into a gym or contact someone for programming. They're not in the right place to get help with their nutrition, but it's for everybody. And the good, like the cool thing about progressive approaches to nutrition and to programming and fitness is that like someone can walk in off the street with absolutely no experience. And as long as they brought their shoes, like you can probably put them through a workout. And it's the same thing with nutrition. Like you can come in off the street with absolutely no working knowledge of nutrition in your diet and we can make some pretty good improvements right away. But it's like people have this idea that they have to have some base knowledge before they, you know, are allowed to get help. And it's like, no, that's what help is for. Well, that's what coaches are for. Like we spend our time learning and educating ourselves to do the hard work for you. So you just come in. That's really interesting if anybody's like coaching out there and listen to what Mary just said about people coming in. I had a, I would call him a mentor, Fernando Ramirez in the first gym. One time somebody came in the gym and I was kind of giving them the talk about it. And then they left and Fernando was like, hey, you know, when someone comes in the gym, give them a workout, just drop what you're doing and give them a workout. And that happened 2013 to me when we had this conversation. And I have had people like just the other day, this guy, Kevin came in and I was like, Hey, you want to work out now? Cause he was asking about stuff and he had his shoes and I was like, come on, let's go work out. And he did the class. So it's just one of those things where like, I think you guys got to just encourage and grab people if you listen to this, cause that's a huge home run hit. They're scared to come, you know, and you just, they're there. So let's go. And you can just kind of make that experience way more enjoyable. And it's cool because it's in person. Like you guys get a lot of people through social media. So it's a little bit different, but you can really enjoy like a human experience with that person. So take advantage of that. Someone comes in. We had a conversation with Paul Tremblay a long time ago, same thing. And he was kind of going on about on-ramp programs and someone walks into the gym like that. And, you know, the owner insists that they have a meeting and basically just starts adding all of these barriers to actually like getting a workout. And he's like, don't do that. Like tell him to hop in on a class, get him to sign a waiver, like get him going. And that's the thing is when someone has walked into the gym, they've done something that's so scary to them that like you don't want to tell them to turn around and leave. Like they may not come back. Like you need to give them a good experience right away. And it is different with social media and working remotely with people. But we get inquiries through our website. People ask the most ridiculous questions. The worst thing that you can do is make them feel like they've asked a ridiculous question. What would be a ridiculous question? I don't know. Like we did have one person who was like, do you need to hit your macros on the nose like every gram every single day? It's not even ridiculous. I mean, you can't say ridiculous, but it's like to us, you're like, where, where did you come from that you think that that's even possible? Yeah. Well, people come in and they, you know, they're acting if they're perimenopausal or they're explaining their background with diet, like, you know, they lay it all out there. And in your mind, you're like, this is ridiculous. Like, there's no way that you did that or whatever. But like, you have to take that person and treat them with respect and open the door like just wide open and say like, we can help you no matter what. You just have to walk through it. Do you guys know how many people had nutrition coaching prior to coming to you guys? Like we actually just added that question to our intake form. I would say it's like 20 now. Before we had a lot of people who are like in the CrossFit space. I think nutrition coaching is bigger in CrossFit. Like they, you know, you do a lot of like gym challenges and that sort of thing. But now that we're getting into kind of like, there's a lot of people who do endurance sports who have no idea about nutrition and they've never been coached. And it's the same thing, just like general gym goers. No idea. I think there have been people who've been like dietitians and stuff, but nutrition coaching is very new to a lot of our newer people. In the last year, I would say it's a lower percentage. Where we wanted to go just as a, a general conversation is on the topic of discipline, which I know is a topic that, you know, I see you guys post about a lot. 
we talk about it a lot too. I think we align more than we don't align, but I thought it would be kind of neat to discuss how discipline comes in for people who are new to fitness and nutrition, people who are experienced with fitness and nutrition and how important it is for ultimately succeeding in any endeavor. So I'll start, I'll make it really easy. How important is discipline for achieving in any endeavor? Well, we were actually just having this conversation. I'm very bad at aerobic work. So I was on the bike for 45 minutes and doing some 36 inch line facing burpees. And we were talking about just like toughness and like discipline and toughness, I think are the same thing when you're trying to do something hard or trying to improve yourself. Discipline is when things get tough, you continue to do it, even if it doesn't yield you any type of result at all. And like being disciplined for me is when you don't want to do the thing, but you know that the consistency of doing that thing builds the habit, builds kind of like the skill. The martial arts background helps a ton because there's like no wiggle room. They're just like, okay, when you're a white belt, you only get to do front kicks and lunge punches. Like you don't get to do round kicks until you're a yellow belt, which is very different than CrossFit. And until you earn the right to do the next thing by showing proficiency and mastery through coming to class, listening to the instructor, performing the movements, training and disciplining yourself to do those things, you can't move on to the next belt. CrossFit is very different. You know, living life is very different because no one's holding you accountable to that. So I was very lucky like at a young age to get a lot of that. But I do think it holds true. Like people need to understand that if you want to do something and become relatively good at it, you just have to continue to do it every single day, whether you want to or not. And that at the end of the day is discipline and then it creates toughness too. Because things are going to come in your life to challenge you, right? Your friends are going to ask you if you're trying to do nutrition, they're going to come and ask you to eat the donut at the office. Well, it takes discipline for you to say no. And that may be very hard for you, but depending on where you're at in your journey, the right answer might be no. And so you build that over time through that experience. So the one day you say no, good. You like dropped a little coin in the bucket and you're ready to go. Tomorrow, you might say yes, you know, it's okay. And then you do it again. And the next day you get challenged again. Every single time you're just trying to collect more than someone's taking away from you. And through that, you end up just being resilient to the hard challenges of life and what people quote unquote say are tough. Like they're a tough individual. I think the most tough individuals are people who are disciplined and resilient to not wavering from the things that they want to do and leaning in and letting people decide for them. And just saying, no, I don't want to eat that donut or no, I'm going to go to CrossFit class because I want to get fit or, you know, whatever that is for you. And I think that's really what it is. I don't know. The internet's wild. So <laughs> I'm like tired of people saying it's like some crazy thing. It's just like making a choice. You just make a choice on what you want and you do that and that's your life and then do it again and again and again and again. And then one day you die and that's it, you know, and hopefully you made all the choices that you wanted to get the things that you want in your life. And it sounds really selfish, but like, I think that's something else people miss out on because we have relationships. We have some people have children and everything else and jobs and stuff. We don't realize that like we come into this world alone and we leave it alone. So you should really work on yourself. That way you can enrich all the other things in your life because you have hold yourself. But I don't know how many people like do that. I mean, I've struggled a lot to get to where I'm at personally. So, and I've had to work on it really hard. So I feel good about where I'm at now. And when I give that advice to people, it's just been through a lot of practice. And then because we work with so many people, I think we get micro doses of their scenarios and we learn through them, which makes us experience their experience on a very small level. And so as a coach, we speak from a lot of expertise, like Marissa just evolved her UCL in January. And like, I've already had an athlete tear their UCL. So I've experienced that with them, worked through the rehab with them, then worked with Marissa. And like now when people tell me they get injured or they feel weird or something, I'm kind of dry to it. But I've experienced that micro dose and become really tough and then been like, here's the process. Here's how we're going to get through it. And we're going to work on all these things and build you out. 18 months, you're going to not even remember this. But because I've been through that, with somebody else, even though it wasn't me, I've experienced it, you know? And so it helps me like go, okay, that this is life. When it's something for myself, I can say, no, I'm going to do this because I know what's going to happen. I've experienced with somebody else. I've been through the process and then I can work other people through it as well. So it's like this revolving door of you, me, you, me. And then at the end of the day, 
hopefully you're a little bit better off. But I like discipline more than motivation. That's for sure. But oh yeah, motivation is a myth. We definitely agree on that. But it takes like to experience someone else's experience. Like that also requires a great deal of empathy, and not everybody has the ability to step outside of themselves enough to do that. But also, arguably, that's probably why you're in the coaching field and why other people are not in the coaching field. Marissa, what's your take on discipline? I mean, my general view on discipline, I think, is that it's like an ability to act outside of emotion around something. Like I think when I really like boil that down and like what it looks like in practice is that is when the circumstance or your environment or your internal emotions, mood, et cetera, are guiding you in a different direction and you're choosing the thing that is in alignment with your goals. You may not be able to do that all the time, but I think that being able to do that more, more times than you're not and be able to act outside of emotion is really like what it looks like. I don't have like a ratio of like how much of it you need to be successful. Like if I I did, then everyone would be clamoring for my coaching. Yes. But, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, in nutrition, it can be challenging because when people hear that or when, especially when they come to us with the, the question of like, oh, do I have to hit everything on the gram? It's like, that's what they envision as like the discipline and the structure and everything else that they need in order to get success. And that's why nutrition coaching is so valuable is because it offloads that to the coach to give the client, hey, these are the things that we're going to focus on. And these are the things that I want you to be disciplined around that are hopefully going to be the lowest hanging fruit things to get you closer to the goal, the things that are going to give you the biggest payout in like moving the needle forward. I just think... Yeah. Like when you scroll on Instagram, it's just like, go hard. You got to do like the 75 hards, all these things that we're trying to essentially combat. And like, I am a personally big fan of discipline because I like to execute it in my own life. It's something that's allowed me to reach a lot of my personal goals, but I just think it's like misplaced a lot. I mean, I guess you could say like abused because people just think that that's like the thing. Like what Todd said, like discipline is doing the hard thing, being tough about it. And it's like, I always thought that the hard thing was like, what's more, what's objectively hard. So like running a marathon or working out on a rest day. And then I think the first time that my mindset shifted around that was I saw a post that was like, discipline for some people is not eating the pizza. Discipline for other people is eating the pizza. It's defining what's hard, what you need to be disciplined about. Like maybe for some people, discipline is resting or taking your foot off the gas. But I think you're right. Like discipline is getting abused by this like rhetoric of like, just do it or go one more or just more, more, more like I think discipline gets misplaced. Like you were saying, Marissa, I was saying to Meredith, like now that I have this newfound definition of discipline, I'm like, discipline's king. But then Meredith countered that. Well, yeah. And Marissa, you mentioned you brought in the emotions element, which I think is such an important part of the conversation because I think that the people who have the most success, while they probably do possess some amount of discipline, they are the best at emotional regulation. Emotional regulation is the prerequisite for discipline, at least healthy discipline. That's where it gets like the water starts to get a little bit muddy because you can look at, it's really easy, especially to look at people who work out a lot or are frenetic about their food. You're like, wow, they have a lot of discipline. But when you try to take that away or when you put them in a situation where they don't have control over those things and they react poorly, you realize that person is actually operating from a highly emotional state and they lack emotional regulation in situations where they need to be backing off or they would maybe be better served by backing off. And I think that, you know, there's a big focus on, you know, the stoic tenants and Ryan Holiday is so popular in the space and he's a really good mind and a great thinker. And the one that people like to ignore is temperance. I mean, I'm, I'm, I think Ryan has kind of said you need all of this kind of the stoic principles to live a stoic and happy life. And temperance is, I think, what balances the drive that comes up with discipline. Because I think there's a difference between being disciplined and being driven. Often driven people lack the maturity to not run themselves into the ground over time. That's kind of my take on discipline. I think for a lot of people, it takes more discipline to do the easy thing than it does the hard thing. Like get David Goggins to take a day off. Objectively easy. Objectively. Yeah. I mean, David Goggins, perfect example. And his story is amazing, but like try to get him to not run for a day or just like cool it and he couldn't do it. So you could argue that David Goggins, as impressive as he is, might lack a little bit of emotional regulation. He might lack temperance and the ability to show self-restraint in other areas. That's really interesting. Do you think 
the reason for that is people actually lack awareness around the actual thing they're doing, like and full picture of the thing that they're doing. So for example, like people come into our CrossFit gym, I write a program, it's progressive, it's not CrossFit all the time and it's not varied. It's varied in some things, but that's like 20% of the time. We have seen a shift because they we took over a gym, changed it. Now that they're realizing that this is happening and we started educating them now, they're doing less they're buying into the program more because there's more education, there's more awareness and they're becoming quote unquote more disciplined and wanting to come more days. Cause they realize like, well, if I don't come on Tuesday, I'm going to miss the pull-up progression. And I really don't want to miss that. And that came from opening up their eyes and their mind to the certain things. So like in the David Goggins example, do you think he's that way because he doesn't realize the value the deeper value of resting and recovery and not wrecking his body so much, or it's overshadowed by like you're saying emotion of like, I got to be this person and be tough and show on the internet how tough I am. When in reality, it's almost stupidity. Yeah. Probably a little bit of both. I think in his example, you, and you see this all the time with people who drastically change their lives and their bodies and their health through somewhat extreme behaviors, if they achieve that goal, there's an extreme reluctance to back off because there's this fear fundamentally that they'll slide back into this version of themselves that they didn't like. So there's definitely an aspect of lack of awareness and understanding of the global benefit of rest, but also probably a bit of identity tied up into that for sure. On the gym example, the awareness and the education part, there's a story about, gosh, I can't remember who posted. I think it was Steve Magnus, but he tells this story about a janitor at NASA and he's mopping the floors and someone comes up to him and he says, what do you do for work? And he says, I help send people to space. You know, he understands his purpose. And even though he's got a very lowly on paper job, he sees the bigger picture of the way that he fits into this equation. And for that reason, reports a lot higher job satisfaction and happiness. And you see they've done similar studies with workers in China, where if you can convince them that they're doing something for a good purpose or just help them understand the purpose of what they're doing, you see this sort of mental shift occur and there's more acceptance and there's more buy-in and they do better work. And probably you're seeing people in your gym are, are literally doing better workouts because they're showing up with greater amount of discipline, more understanding. They want to be there. They want to improve versus just, I want to go in and do an entertaining workout and sweat for an hour. Huge so that's discipline. Yeah, there it is. We just we just did it. <laughs> yeah. The um, end. Bye. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's really interesting because I know a lot about Alex and I like her coaching story. So like when you were doing a ton of aerobic work when you're supposed to be getting strong, and I think a lot of people can relate to this story. Why do you think you lacked like the discipline to do the aerobic work? I think when I started CrossFit, I was in a really bad place mentally from some of the stuff that had happened with deaths in my family. And I kind of clung to exercise as my like way to regulate my emotions. And I, I wasn't doing CrossFit to make it to the games. Like I, I ended up making it to the games by the skin of my teeth, but I wasn't doing it for a bigger picture. Like I wasn't doing it to get stronger. I was doing it because it was a form of exercise that I could kind of like, I think a lot of people do this. Like it's, it justifies spending hours in the gym. It's like, Oh, I'm doing a sport. Oh, okay. So you're not just in the gym for four hours. And like I was running in the morning because it helped regulate my emotions. It was like, it was an outlet and it was a compulsion. I would run every single day except for Saturdays, but I would work out as much as I could given how much, whatever work I had to do for law school or whatever it was. When I made it to the games, it was after that I stopped running. Cause I was like, okay, I see now if I want to get back to the games, this is my goal. I have to be disciplined about the path that's going to get me there. It was kind of like understanding the training, understanding the whys, and then getting help, honestly, for like my mental health over the period of time. I still struggle with that a little bit. It is understanding like why I'm doing something and like what it's for and how it's serving me. And if there's a, a healthier way of, of doing that. But I think you're right, like understanding the bigger picture and having a really good understanding and awareness of like why you're doing something is so helpful. Everyone used to be like, wow, you run so much. You're so disciplined. And like the food thing, like, again, I was a little bit on the extreme side with food too. And it wasn't a good, it wasn't a good situation, but on paper it was like, dang, she's tough. Yeah. It's interesting. I guess I never, I mean, I don't think you've like kind of openly shared that. So I really appreciate you yeah. sharing that part. I've listened to your guys' podcast. I feel like you haven't shared that that deep about the beginning portions of, and you'd always crack jokes about how you'd run a ton and train and not listen to Mike and everything else. So, but that's really cool. And I think there are a lot of people out there who struggle with this. You know, orthorexia is a big thing and we try to watch out for it. 
Yeah, that's that's really cool. And thank you for sharing that. Yeah. During the winter in Edmonton, which is where I went to law school, I would get up at five every morning so I could run for an hour before school. And then I would go to the gym after and then like get back home and study. It was like like Sunday night. I'd be like, I didn't feel like I exercised enough today. I need to go run you know, my loop. And and I would run in like minus 25. Like I remember going to school once with like a splotch of frostbite on my cheek. Oh my God. <laughs> I was like, what am I doing? In the moment, it was like what felt right. And that's kind of like, it was comfortable. I mean, that, wow, that's kind of like how, what Meredith's alluding to. I mean, discipline could be dangerous. You know, you felt tough. You were disciplined to do it. You identified as this thing. I'm sure there were a lot of people who admired you and what you did and how much you did and wanted to be like you, which then can snowball and like perpetuate a greater issue that may be going on with you. So like as a coach, I try to look out for those things with athletes and stuff. And if anyone's listening, probably like look into that. Yeah. I, I mean, I think just there are categories of addiction that do fall under that. Like it's easier to be under the guise of I'm super disciplined than have to face what your actual intentions are behind those actions. Yeah. Meredith and I were just talking about this with work. Well, Mm -hmm. I think that there's, I'm I'm reading a a book on addiction right now. And so I'm like, everything is kind of going through that lens for me. And I'm aware that that creates a little bit of bias, but it's written by Dr. Gabor Mati, Mati. I don't know how to pronounce his name, but he's a famous psychologist who works out of BC. And so he wrote this book called In the Realm of Hungry Ghosts. That's the book that I'm reading. And at the beginning, he's talking about where the title came from. And Buddhism, there's the mandala, which is the six realms of existence. And so one of them, there's the God realm, but one of them is the realm of hungry ghosts. And so he describes, you know, the creatures in the realm of hungry ghosts as being like scrawny, small, like emaciated, like bloated, empty bellies. And it's the domain for addiction. It's where we're constantly kind of seeking something outside of ourselves for fulfillment or validation. And when we think about addiction, I think most often people think about substance addiction, behavioral addiction, like gambling, eating, sexual addiction, that kind of thing. But there's also addictions that are socially acceptable. Exercise addiction being one and work addiction being another. And so he has a whole chapter in the book on his addiction to work. And he's open about the fact that like, he's a very successful psychologist, author, but he uses addiction to work to fulfill a need in himself. And so it's, it's conflicting because I think that what makes that tricky and in Alex's case and anyone who suffers from an an exercise addiction, if we want to call it that, is that not only do you receive external validation, but you can actually like legitimately become successful on that path. And so that's, it creates this sort of interesting psychology where how much do you actually want to admit that it's problematic and creates issues for you in your life? And really like the sign of addiction or or what an addiction is, is a habit that is ultimately harmful. And that's how you look at it. Like if a person is suffering from orthorexia or, you know, has an exercise addiction and that doesn't have a specific look, like not everyone who has an exercise addiction looks like Alex did in 2013. It's like some people look, they walk around in normal looking bodies, but how much do we want to admit that that's a problem and pull back? Even if we know, even if you have someone saying your life is going to improve if you stop, objectively, you're looking at all of these things that you've gained as a result of your hyperfixation on work. And like, I'd be the first to admit, like we probably both have a work addiction. I remember once my mom said like, I have an addictive personality. Like she used to smoke and like struggled big time with that. And then like food was another problem. And I remember being like, Oh, that's tough. Like, I'm glad I'm not addicted. Like I don't have that tendency. And like, now looking back, I'm like, I did. And even still, like I struggle, like with Meredith was just saying, like last night I was like, I think I might be like addicted to work. And I kind of said it jokingly because I love it so much and I'm so motivated by it. I'm careful not to spend all my time now that's like not focused on exercise with work. Like last yeah. week I took a rest week because I was coming off my marathon and I ended up working like way more. <laughs> that's the flip side of the discipline coin, like the opposite side of, of discipline. Maybe it is addiction. It's so easy to mask certain types. I'm sure that you have had people that you've worked with. We sure have where you need to stop. You need to slow down. Like you're going to run yourself into the ground. And the thing with addiction is until you can get the person that has the addiction to whatever to admit that there is a problem, there's really nothing that you can do. I think they get trapped in the loop because and even the work thing is like you either see productivity from those choices, like you're getting more fit 
You're looking how you think you want to look. You're getting more done at work. So it's harder to pull back because you're like, well, it's working. It's a reward system. Like, and it's just like, okay. And then it just like feeds into it. And that is true. Like the more, like from a work standpoint, if you're able to a lot more hours to work, you're going to yield higher productivity generally. Yeah, but what are those dollars per hour? Yeah, I'm not saying that. (laughs) Actually, I'm just saying like it's, yeah, I mean, that is true. But I think like that is what happens with addiction in general is like there's a, a reward system that starts to develop and the stronger that it gets and the farther down the path you get, the harder it is to decide to make different choices. Look at the type of work that we can do now, right? Like you, you can basically be immediately rewarded for working like that. Like we work, you know, if we put in more work, we see our income go up immediately versus like go back a hundred years. The type of work that most people were doing the turn of the 19th century or 20th century was farming. Like people were working their own land and that was still in the middle of the industrial revolution. But this whole idea of like local benefit versus global benefit, people don't have to chop wood for wintertime anymore. Like you don't have to do work that is going to pay off six months from now. You don't have to do like plan your harvest. You don't have to plan livestock. You don't have to forward think anymore with the way that we work. You can think forward a week or a month and that's usually long enough as long as, I mean, you're not trying to grow like a billion dollar company. So I think a lot of people have just lost sight of foregoing local benefit or immediate gratification for what's going to be most beneficial for them in the long term. I think with people who struggle with this and want to do more, I walk them through like, it's like undulation. So you have to understand when you're trying to do anything hard and specifically CrossFit. So I talk to people about, let's say you're 800 in the world and you want to get into the top 100. You have to bridge that gap somehow. And typically that's a volume model. So you work on your limitations, you build them out, and then you got to apply volume because that's the sport that we're in. And you have to build capacity in that thing. And there's really no way around it. Same thing like with marathon running. Like Alex, it's like eventually you have to add volume you know, once you get fast enough. With that, you get the success that we're talking about and it rewards you. But then at a certain point, there's a diminishing return there. Most people don't understand that. So we got to pull back and then find the limitation that is really the lowest hanging fruit that isn't more volume. It's like, well, yeah, your hands are too wide in your handstand walk and it's really hindering you and your speed and your travel and it's fatiguing you a lot in your shoulders. It's not a more volume issue. It's a positional issue that we should fix. Getting people to switch their mindset from there, once they've already gone from 800 to 100, it's now like, okay, well, we don't need more volume. They're so resistant because that's how they got there. Write that all the time. And I'm like, no, no, no. Like we got here, you're fit. The body's responded. You don't need more volume. We just need to kind of keep it high enough that you can perform the things that they're asking you to perform. But really it's a detail oriented approach now. And then once we get those things cleaned up, sure, as we get closer to competition it is a volume model and we go back to that you know thing that was successful and then we got to pull back and peel away the layers. I had an athlete recently who I've coached for 10 years. She's like been trying to bridge the gap, been trying to bridge the gap, finally bridges the gap, is very happy with that. And we're like, okay, now let's take a real off season. And for the last like three years, she hasn't really took an off season because she was so far behind people. And we knew that. And it's like, this is where you are in the sport. This is how it is. Let's get you forward. And now she's excited because it's like, okay, I get to work on positioning and technique and I get to do some bodybuilding and not have to kill myself every day. And so like, once you understand the process, there's a huge reward when you can really get to that. And then that example, I would say is true discipline. Like they're disciplined and aware and understanding of like, I did this thing. I don't need to do it anymore. It's not going to give me any more return. I need to cut it off and focus on the really important things that is going to yield a higher return. Like fixing your technique and your handstand walk. So from my experiences, I deal with every day, but I don't know how many people can, I guess you could, you could take that approach in everything in your life and like figure out where that undulation needs to come from and like pull back and you'll see that that's the best thing for you. Yeah, man, that's crazy. You you guys have a hard job actually because nutrition is way harder than fitness. It's easy for me to be like, hey, yeah, we're just going to do less pull-ups and we're going to change your grip. Like that's easy. Whereas there's so many other emotional things involved with nutrition and and your lifestyle and things like that. The behavior model is the fog behavior model. I don't know if you've seen that graph, but basically it's, it shows the relationship between effort and sustainability. So essentially 
like to oversimplify it, it's the higher the effort, the like less sustainable it is. But like you do tend to make quicker progress with the higher effort. So you just kind of have to be aware of where's the inflection point because the inflection point comes for everybody. And that's the thing. The difference between nutrition and fitness is the, the results are a little bit less tangible. And it is more about, you know, how is this affecting the mind and the motivation to continue and that type of thing. And so it's like, hey, when you make a lot of progress with this high effort, that's fine. But in order to continue to sustain the progress and it become a like a lifestyle, more or less, you have to understand where that inflection is and where if you continue to push the effort, it's going to become unsustainable and you're just going to fall off. That's the inflection point with nutrition. And again, like it is hard to get people to understand like, well, no, I did 75 hard or, you know, I've done really low calories before and that's worked. And it's like, I understand that. But like, how's that going for you right now? It's wrecking your mind. It's doing physical damage to your body. And like, ultimately, even if you think you want to continue, your body's going to break you out of that because it has to, because it, it feels unsafe. Yeah. I mean, the, the same principle definitely is there. The mechanism is a little bit different. This has been a great conversation. I feel like you, you two are like us in that you probably spend a lot of time together and you have a lot of conversations about these things. Like we listen to podcasts together and read books and listen to audiobooks together. And then we're like, wait, pause it. And then we have a whole conversation yeah. about it. I think that helps a <laughs> yeah. lot in like growth. I mean, we had a conversation just the other day where I had a completely different perspective and we talked our whole dog walk about it. And she won me over. I did. It was just like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, it was, it was like, we were bordering on having an argument. At it was on point. the line, but those can be the best types of conversations. Yes. Yeah, it was really good. <laughs> he doesn't even call them arguments. He calls them conversations. <laughs> they are. Like that was a debate. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, I think that's a, a hallmark of a really good relationship. I think you should be able to have differences and debates and conversations. And even if you don't end up on the other side of it with the same opinion, that's okay too. The last things that we wanted to talk about was just how the relationship dynamic is for you to, you know, being in the same field, you know, the day-to-day with the gym, Marissa, you are involved in the pack. So like, what's that, that like, not, not a lot of people work with their significant other. And it can be great, challenging. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't. I mean, I want to say it's taken practice, but at the same time, like I don't know if that's entirely true. If it's just been experience accumulated. Yeah, I mean, it also helped that I coached you for six years, like, and still coach mm-hmm. you in your training and yeah, fitness. complicated. That is true. So, did you get married before you started coaching, Marissa, or was it like a a whole thing. He was coaching me before we were married and we were running CrossFit Curry before we were married. But he started dating before you were getting coached. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yes. And then you were like, I want you to be my boyfriend and my coach. Yes. Yeah. yeah. We were dating. Then we, he started one-on-one coaching because that was when he was with Brute. We were all working out together previous yeah, to us so dating. Everyone would do the blog model yeah. before. So like everybody was getting so I wasn't, coached. Yeah, everyone was getting like coached, but yeah, it was yeah. just like more general. Before the one-on-one stuff. Yeah. Then we started dating. Then I started getting one-on-one coaching because he was doing one-on-one coaching. And then like I was doing a lot of like admin and coaching and then he was the head coach and coaching. And you we, still do. Yes. I still do the admin and coaching here. <laughs> and then we got married in 2019. So yeah, I mean, we definitely had a lot of like relationships within our relationship. And I, but yeah, I think the coach client one was probably the hardest. Should I say I'm not a good feedback person or that I used to not be a good feedback person? It's an area for development. Well, no. So I don't think you take any (laughs) feedback any worse or any better than any other client I've had, honestly. Thank you. Thank you. Um, That's nice. Because what you guys try to do, and you guys know this because you've tried to do it, and we have done it. Yes, I've done it. it. Sorry. Successfully. That was, that was not, that tried, was not very and, nice. tried and succeeded. Uh, yeah. <laughs> We're not a success story yet. <laughs> yeah, there you go. No, like in in, in No, um, you guys have been CrossFit. to the CrossFit Games. Yes. So oh, okay. Oh, yeah, people we, try yes, to we did go do to the CrossFit Games. <laughs> yes. Or even like Alex now trying to run a sub three hour marathon. Like when you are at the edges of your human potential, it isn't a very emotional thing. Very. There would be times where she would just not be 
taking the feedback to achieve the thing that she wants to achieve. And this happens with all clients. And it's like, you you have to come in and cut in and be like, look, you're not going to go to the CrossFit games if you keep doing it this way. Right. Or you're not going to get to Granite games like you did or whatever semifinals, regionals, whatever they call it now, if you keep doing these things. And that's a hard conversation, especially when it comes from your significant other. We had to early on set a tone and a line of like, okay, this is like, literally I would be like, this is coach talking. Yeah, she like had I to would, accept it that way. Yeah, because he'd like come in and like say something in a session and I'd be like, oh, like that's mean. Like what I, <laughs> oh yeah. yeah. Oh, like that's how it felt on the inside. Yeah. And then it's like, well, if my basketball coach said that to me, I wouldn't have been like, ooh, that's mean. But it's like, because <laughs> yeah. I already was like, oh, my husband's in the gym and we're working out together. And then he's like, that looks like crap. Like, you know, well, whatever. that's not how no, I approach you it. Know, but. But that's, <laughs> that's my internal, like, yeah. He says it and then it goes in my ear and I'm like, oh, you, you suck. Okay, cool. That's like when Alex used to snatch and be like, why are you looking up like a goober? (laughs) (laughs) But you would actually say it like that. We didn't have an established coach client relationship. That was me. Everything was romantic. Yes. Yes, of course. (laughs) So I think a lot of that forged it because it was conflict resolution after the fact, you know, it was like, Hey, look, like, what, are we having a conversation because we're together right now and you're upset about something I said and you think I'm insensitive or is it like coach L from brute was telling you this? How would you feel? You yeah. know, if, if Mike Fitzgerald or Matt told you this, how would you feel? Right. You know, it's like, okay, fine. Yeah. yeah. You know, and so that helped us a lot, create clear lines of communication mm-hmm. and separate the things and it bled over to everything else. Yeah. So yeah. did you give Marissa a discount once you got married? Was or, it a discount before or yeah. after? When did you stop charging her or are you still charging her for coaching? <laughs> we, we Do you joke. charge her more? <laughs> yeah. Definitely more. <laughs> we Higher joke. maintenance now. Yeah, we joke. Sometimes I will be like, oh man, I should have had you pay for coaching. <laughs> <laughs> Think about how much money you would have now. <laughs> no, she has never paid for coaching. That's true. I've never paid for coaching. Yeah. Well, usually you just like, oh, I'd go to the same place. <laughs> I'm actually, yeah, it's just money moving around, yeah. right? It's like when we still like, oh, I'll get dinner. I'm like, what? <laughs> so ridiculous. Yeah. Well, that is actually a really, I mean, this is, everybody has their own thing. And the one thing we did when we started, like everything was we put everything in one bank account. And I know that's like a topic that people like don't want to talk about and finances, whatever. But I think people who are in a relationship together. And if you think they're a successful relationship, in your opinion, you should definitely ask them what they do for their finances. Cause I think that's a big piece of why people have issues. So one of the things we did was put our money together. She handles all the money. I just don't do it. I don't, I'm always of the thought like we can make more money. So I would be the worst person to manage the money. Cause I would just spend it and be like, well, we'll just make it's more. Like, it's not a big deal. Yeah. Just go out to the tree. We'll just pick it. Yeah. No, cause it, we're in a unique situation where we are in control of like how much money we can make and how hard we want to work and everything else. So I just like, well, let's just work harder. Let's just help more people. It'd be easy, you know? And so that I'm not the best person to do that. So she's been doing that. And then that helps us communicate too. It's like, you know, what do we want to do with our money? Where do we want to go? How are we going to balance this? What are we going to pay for? And then on top of that, running the business, same thing applies, right? So it's like coming to the office, let's have a conversation about finances. What are we going to do? What's the most tactical decision we could make that's going to push us forward? So those types of conversations have enriched our personal lives to I think a really big next level that like I could not have in any other relationship because we've chosen to do this together. Well, if you're asking, our finances are separate. (laughs) And it's probably because every time we buy something, I'm like, we're poor. (laughs) I mean, I know people that are either way on it. I think we just like early on, we're just like, okay, we can do more if it's all in one place. Like that was just kind of like the way that we had viewed it. I still conceptualize our money as in one bank account. It's Mm -hmm. all together. But like if you were to start spending like crazy, you would only have access to half. (laughs) (laughs) So you can't have mine. I fully trust her, but but if something was to happen. Yeah. I just really like camera equipment. I don't know. I just, you know, uh, she does say things. So, so I have to be careful. Who loads the dishwasher the right way? There's only one loader. Oh, is it Todd? <laughs> yeah. That's a whole other conversation. Oh man, I can't wait to talk about the dishwasher. <laughs> so who loads it? Is someone a cooker and someone a cleaner? Someone's both. Marissa does everything. <laughs> That's amazing. We'll assume your way is the right way then. I almost asked him the other day, actually, if he 
thought that the dishes were just supposed to go into the sink or not. We've never had a formal conversation around it. I don't remember. After did no, I said I almost asked you the oh, other day because oh, oh. I went up there and the dinner bowls are always just like in the sink. I'm like, I wonder if he knows where these go. Normally. <laughs> like Does he know where they bowls. come from? Do they yeah. know? Well, so early on, her family is this way. It's really great. I'm not from a family like this, but uh, her mom's a big time nurturer and likes to do a lot of things. So she's inherited that. And one of the things, like she knows, I can do all that stuff. Because before yeah, he, I did, he feeds himself fine when I'm not around. Feed so. myself, I can do my laundry. <laughs> He's definitely it. capable. I can walk the dog. I can do everything. It doesn't like the place doesn't burn down. But she early on was started getting upset from things. Like I would do stuff. Like I'd make my breakfast, and she would seem very upset. And I'm like, what's going on? Like she would just express like, oh, I feel like when you do that stuff, I'm not of value to you. And so I just let her do it now. I know my mom used to get like this with like cleaning. If somebody would like vacuum something, she'd be like, oh, did they think that it got dirty or I didn't have time or like that type thing? I don't feel like that. Anyone welcome to come vacuum my house. Totally fine. But I do feel like the nurturing thing, like I feel good when I'm just like able to like provide for people. And even when people come to our, like when athletes come to our house and we like host, like I like to be able to do that. Yeah. Acts of service is one of yeah. her love languages. So it's very easy. Yeah. yeah. And then how do you keep score? <laughs> In life. So are you like way ahead, Marissa? It sounds like you might be really far ahead on the scorecard. And so, yeah. I'm yeah. definitely racking up the tallies. She's yes. bitter. She does all the laundry. I'm not taking on clients for giving out relationship advice yet, but that's in the works. <laughs> <laughs> Number one, keep score. <laughs> First round club and scorekeeping. Yeah. Yes, that's good. Oh, this was really good. Thank you for coming on. This was very enjoyable. Thanks for having yeah. us. If people wanted to find you on internet land, where would they do that? Pack.fit is training. And then Todd is... Coach.toddwise. On the Instagrams. Yep. Yep. And I'm at marissa.wise. Yeah. And we only use Instagram, no TikTok. We have websites, but you can find everything through Instagram. What about Alex? Where can they find Alex? I feel like she doesn't usually know her Parker. handle. <laughs> A.A. Parker, the only A.A. Parker, number one. That's because only one person can but have that. But then there is handle. an A.A. Parker no number. So are they ahead of me? I don't know. There's a you Marissa Wise. I really wanted no dot, but... I really want at tactic. And that account exists and it's dormant. And I'm, I'm oh, trying to figure out how to get it. I know. So annoying. Anyways, thank you for the time and the conversation. This was amazing. I know people are going to love it. So cool. Appreciate it. All right. See you guys.